Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. I've been asking God all week, okay, Lord, how am I going to start this message? So this is how I'm going to start my message. So my mother-in-law is in town, right? So you got to start with a mother-in-law thing. You know how it says in Scripture that um, who is the wisest man out there? King Solomon, right? He was so wise, he had all these wives and everything like that. And I've always said to my mom, I said, you know what, mom? That's great, but I don't think he's that wise. Because when you get married, there's usually a mother-in-law that gets attached to it. <laughs> think about it. All those mother-in-laws, too, they'd... So I'm like, I'm glad I just have the one, because if I had two of Wendy's, oh, man, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> That's okay. No, I'm glad she's here, cause, and she asked me this week, she said, you're not bringing a box to church, right? I'm like, no, because every time she's come to listen to me speak, it's always been about God in a box. And I said, well, maybe it's something you haven't grasped the last three, four times. <laughs> But no, that's not what we're talking about today. That was an awesome video, hey, about Jackson. You know, I was just saying, like, last time I heard about Jackson was he was sick and then healed and then that was it. So it's great. I love testimonies. I love hearing what it was that was going on. Because at the end of the day, it's always great to see, oh, yeah, I came out of this. I, I got out of this. You know, everything's good. But what was going on during the process? You know, where, where were you at? What was going on? Like it says in Revelation that by the blood of the Lamb and a word of our testimonies. That's what people want to hear. They want to hear what's going on. And it's great because my message actually is about being in the desert. Yeah, right? Some people are like, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm actually going in a desert right now. Who, who's, who here has ever been in a desert in their walk? No, just the spiritual. Let's say spiritual, just to keep it holy. <laughs> who, come on, honestly, who's been in one? Who's been in one? It's okay. If you haven't put your hand up, we're going to pray that you get to go through one. Because that's no fair. You know, I, did, I was doing some research, and the largest desert in the world is the Sahara Desert. It covers about 3.5 million square miles. Whew, that's a lot of sand and a lot of emptiness. You know, and that's the thing. When we're in that desert, do you, do you feel like you're alone? You feel like you're, you're cut off from the world. You feel like you're cut off from God. Your prayers maybe only go as, as high as yourself you feel everything has been stripped away from you when you're in that desert but you know it's interesting as i as i was preparing for this message and as i was studying and looking at things throughout this week this week has been it's <laughs> i can always tell when i have to speak cuz it's always a roller coaster of emotions and a roller coaster in my walk there's always something that happens at night that needs my attention. There's always something that happens that I can't get into my Bible to look. There's some, I, I worked a lot of overtime this week, which was great, 
but it's something that takes away from my time to prepare and to get ready for my message. So it's like, God, okay, let's, let's just pump the brakes on this one area of finances and let's worry about this message that I need to deliver on Sunday. But also it, on Monday, it started off, I had probably the best Monday imaginable. It was the best. And I, I will explain it as we go on. But as I was looking through scripture and as I was looking at what God has been doing, he loves deserts. God really likes them a lot. And I was like, man, God, you really do. Because when Jesus was baptized, after Jesus came out of the water, what was the first thing he did? He was called out into the wilderness. The children of Israel, how long did they spend in the desert? Forty years. Moses, he was out in the desert after he fled from Egypt. Abraham, he called Abraham out into the wilderness. And why is that? Why did they all get to that point? And it's because God's desire is not visitation. Rather, he seeks habitation. God doesn't want to just come over for a visit. Visits are great. My parents always said to me, company makes you happy twice, when they show up and when they leave. Well, it's true, though. You're all excited. Like, I get excited when Wendy comes over. The best day is when she has to leave. Because you get your house back to normal. Your, your family, your routine, you don't have someone coming and, and muddy in the waters. You don't have to, oh, I was saving this dessert, now it's eaten. Like, who took it? You get your life back. <laughs> and that's not what God's about. He doesn't want to just come over for a visit. He wants to inhabitate your life. He talks about it in Leviticus 26. 11 and 12, if you want to turn there, I want to show you. This is really cool. It's in the Old Testament. It's right after Exodus, if you need help. If you have the same Bible of me, it's on page 242. If you don't, well, I, I don't know. It's probably in the 200s or something. But verse 11, he talks about this. He says, I will put my dwelling place among you. And I will not, I don't know that word. Uh, uh, thanks, Ash. And I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord, your God. He says, I'm going to build my dwelling in you. I want to, res I want to be in your life. And then Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 6.16. He told the church in Corinth, God wants to dwell among you. He didn't say he wants to come over for a nice visit. So how does that tie into a desert? Well, when you're going through it, what do you have? Nothing. For years, we've looked at deserts as being these horrible, ugh, when you come up for prayer, when we have the prayer ministry, I'm just going through a desert right now, brother or sister. Just going through, pray that God will bring me out of this. There's a reason why you're there. Like I said earlier, the children of Israel didn't get it. For 40 years, they kept walking around and walking around and walking around. They would say things, oh, it was better when we were in Egypt. We had all this, we had this going for us, but now we're here in this desert. Moses, you don't know where we're going. Aaron, you have no idea what's going on. 
like God's not helping us at all. He helped us to get across the Red Sea, and that's about it. The one thing I've noticed when I've walked through deserts, I've never had to worry about things going on physically or in my family. It's like God knows. Because God's saying, I want to take care of you right now. I want to show you who I am. In Exodus 16, the Israelites were complaining, as per usual, about God, we're so hungry. Moses, we're so hungry. What's going on? So Moses went before the Lord and said, here, God, you've heard the cries, you've heard the children. They're hungry, and God says, okay, I'll give them manna and quail. He took care of them in the desert. They didn't go hungry. They didn't go thirsty. That's Exodus 16 there, Russ. I see you flipping very fast through your Bible. And it's a perfect time for us because everything is stripped away. I remember this time when um, I was going out to Bible college in my first, my first year. I was leaving Cranbrook for the first time. I didn't know anybody in school. I didn't have anything. It was just God and myself. And honestly, the first year, the first half of Bible college was the worst time ever. I hated it. I tried everything to, to run away from the school. I tried everything I could to get home. I even, a grown man crying to his parents, trying to get them to tell him, yeah, you should come home because there's been something going on in the family, when really there wasn't. I felt like I wasn't myself. I felt like there was just things going on. But the thing was, is God was trying to establish and wanting to establish a relationship with me in my heart. So I, <laughs> Before I went there, I... Uh, I quit drinking and smoking cold turkey right off the hop. And I remember talking to my friends at the time. <laughs> I said to them, so what do you guys, it was Friday night. So what do you guys do Friday night? What do you Christians do Friday night? They're like, oh, we played board games. Pfft, I'm out. See you later. I want to go out somewhere. I want to do, I don't want to, board games you play because you're bored. That's why they're called board games. They're boring. <laughs> But through that time, God was doing open-heart surgery. He was working on me. He was pulling out the lies that I was believing and that I was falling trapped to. God was telling me, telling me that I am his son, that I have worth in him. Because when I first showed up, my worth I was finding in the world, acceptance of people. What did people think of me? What did people think of me? But it doesn't matter what people thought of me. It's what is it that God thought of me? What does my dad think about me? When we go through these deserts, we're really not alone. The cloud was always telling them children where to go when they were in the desert. God never left them. He never told them, okay, you're going to have to figure this out on your own. And I was talking with Randy last week about with Judy there and then moving down from Lacombe. It, I know what that's like. It's a big risk. Moving from an area with your family, Ash and I have done that. Just uprooted our family and, and took off. And when we were walking through it, we were like, why are we doing this? And I remember Randy saying, you know, we're, we're believing this is what God's calling us to do. 
And sure enough, Judy got the job that we were praying for at TD. And I tell her, that was the coolest thing ever because I remember mom was, would always tell me, hey, Dan, we're going to get you a job. I've never been without a job, which has been weird. I've, <laughs> I've, and I'm like, oh, that's a total fluke. But no, it's a total God thing. Like how even I got my job at M&K was a, a total God thing. I walked in and just handed in my resume, and with well, four hours later, they're like, hey, come on down. We want to hire you as an apprentice. But it's because Randy and Judy took those steps. They said yes to God. When Ash and I moved to Alberta and then moved back, we said yes to God. Was it tough? Oh, absolutely it was tough. But we've learned things about ourselves when we were there. Ash and I grew as a couple because God said, I want you two to be a powerful force, and I know you are, but you need to get your your crap figured out together. So you can work as a team, because our ministry always consists of me being the front and her just being Ashley and Dan's wife, when that's not how, it was, how God designed our marriage to be. He designed us to be husband and wife, laying claim and taking steps for the kingdom and saying yes, and looking like fools, but understanding and knowing that God is on our side. So what so when, like the, the, in that, the question has been asked, in this desert, are you saying yes to God? Is that why you're there? Because for God to work in our lives, I've noticed, and I've seen, and I've read, even in the disciples, when he was calling them in Matthew, they said, yes, I want to follow you. So we, have you taken that step? Are we walking in it? Are we on the move? used to work at Capital Tire, and we had these big skitter tires. They're about, seven, about 750 pounds to about 1,000. Like, they're flipping heavy. And they'd say, hey, Dan, can you and another guy go move them? Okay, well, the thing's bigger than me, and I'm not a small guy either. So what we'd have to do is you'd have to lean up against another tire, use your feet with all you had, and then push just to get the thing to stand straight up. And another guy would be, I don't know why we had the other guy, just so if, it was going to fall, it would land on a body and squish him. So then we could pick it up. Like, these were, these were heavy, ridiculously heavy. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to roll this thing to the front. Well, we can't drag it, obviously. Can't stick it under your arm. So we would roll it. And once we started rolling the tire, we were able to control where we wanted it to go. Because as you would go... But we wouldn't be able to do that if it wasn't moving. God's not going to spoon feed us. He's, I've always looked at it like he's a gentleman. He's not going to just say, oh, well, it's too bad. Do it. Maybe some of you need it, and he'll do it. Because he knows where you're at. But what I've seen and what I've read is when you say yes to God and you take those steps, he can move He can do what God does best, and he can help and change our lives. 
or we can just sit and wallow and just say, you know what, I'm happy being a, um, as I said to my dad, a back row Baptist. Do we want to just warm up a nice chair? Or do we want to take those steps? It's about keeping our hands to the plow. When we're in that desert time, God, I know what you said. It's about keeping moving forward and remembering what God told us. God told Israel, he said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. It's a promise worth holding on to. God has said promises in all of our lives. In those times of doubt, in those times of fear or or whatever, God says, well, hold on to that promise. What did I promise you? What did I say? Because his promises are yes and amen. When God makes a promise, who's going to break it? Not God. God's going to do everything he can to help you keep that promise. When Jackson was sick, God says, I am healer. I am provider. I am that I am. Did he go back on his promise? He didn't just take care of Jackson. He took care of his family. I can, I can feel what, the, what his dad was going through, seeing your son laying there helpless. And as a dad, you want to do everything you can to fix that. That's, that's how dads are wired. How can I fix this? I see something wrong. I want to fix it. When something breaks, who's the first person the kids generally call? Hey, dad, I broke this. Hey, dad, I broke this. Well, just put it in my room and I'll fix it eventually. You never do, but you'll fix it. But God is the fixer. In Genesis 12, 2, God told Abraham, take everything you have and go. But he said, I promise I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Do you think he was thinking that during the whole Ishmael thing? No. He wasn't really thinking that. God promised him a son. And Abraham said, well, yeah, and I'm going to be this great nation. But God, look at Sarah. She's like a thousand years old. I don't know if this is going to happen. And Sarah even said, I don't think this is going to happen, Lord. I'm like 2,000 years old. But God said it's going to happen. Abraham tried to do it his own way. (laughs) And we saw how that went. And God said, no, I promised you I'm going to give you a son. And I promised you that I will make you a great nation. And God did. God made Abraham's name. He turned him into a great nation. One that to this day, the people are proud of. Hmm. You could turn Matthew 4.14. This was cool when I saw this. Oh, man, I think I just messed up on my writing there. Yep, I did. 
Sorry, that's the wrong that's the wrong address. <laughs> I just got sorry, I got my notes just mixed up right there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Holy cow. Great. That's embarrassing. I don't think I've ever done this. Matthew 4.14. What was I going to say in that? Okay. Oh, sorry. I meant to say 18. Ha! So jump down four verses. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fisher of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. The disciples, Jesus didn't give them a job description of what it was going to be like to be a disciple, did he? He didn't say to Peter eventually, hey, you're going to deny me three times later down the road. He didn't say anything like that. He just said, come and follow me and I will make you fisher of men. And they said, oh, okay. And like Jeff mentioned last, last week, they were teenagers. Like, generally, teenagers don't just, oh, okay, I'll just come and follow you. They're, they're worse than cops. They're like, no, I'm going to grill you and I want to know what's going on. And then... Because I feel like I'm in control, I will make my decision. But no, these ones just said, you know what? No, we're going to follow you. There's something different about Jesus. Not counting the costs, not counting the risks. They jumped in both feet. And they saw miraculous miracles happen. And they saw the heart of God in action. They saw things that they would have never seen out on the boat. They saw Jesus heal people. They saw Jesus cast out demons. They saw Jesus bring people back to life. They saw Jesus calm a sea with just the, 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 the words from his mouth. And then Jesus says to them, greater things are you going to do? It's like, whoa, but back up the truck, Lord. Like, what you're doing is amazing. How are we going to do this? And Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper. Because you're not going to be alone. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus and God, God has never said, I'm going to leave you alone for a little bit so you can figure out what's going on. Nowhere in scripture that I've seen, maybe there's some brighter people that read a lot better than I do and can write down their scriptures properly. But I've never seen Jesus or God leave people alone. He's always in the works. He's always working. And of course, the disciples had to be reminded about the promise God has said to them. Hmm. And then later on in the book of Acts is filled with what everything they've done. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts is, uh, what was their names, Ash? Sapphire, Ananias and Sapphira. They sell their land and they're like, oh, yeah, we know how much it was. We're going to keep some of it. Peter walks over. Hmm. 
you dare rip off God? And then, poof, he dies instantly. And then people, oh, okay, and they take him off and bury him. Wife comes over and says, oh, I can't find my husband. I wonder where he is. So she goes into the temple, and Peter just tears into her and says, you dare cheat God. You know how much that land was worth. And now you're withholding from the Holy Spirit. And then she drops down. Reason why that's one of my favorite stories is because it's like, how would have Peter known that? It's not like they had it written down and documented. It was like probably in a sack or, or, or a case or something. And he just kind of goes, no, it's not heavy enough. I struggle to read my bank account statement sometimes, and that's my own money. Like if it wasn't for the fact that it's color-coded, when it's black, it's good. When it's red, it's not so good. But it's just amazing to see God taking these kids and saying, we're going to do great things together. We're going to take part, you're going to take part in the family business. And Acts is, is an amazing book to see what's going on. Because here they are, just simple fishermen. They, none of them went, well, they all went through school, but they took up their father's trade, and God said, I'm going to use you. Yes, you're going to go through some trials. Yes, you're going to go through some tribulations, but you know what? I'm going to be there with you. Poor Stephen doesn't even get out of the gate, but he had the glory of God all over him because he said, you know what? Yes. Yes to God. And the other disciples continued. Even though they heard this happen to him, they continued on their work and they said, this is worth it. Stephen was willing to put his life down on the line for it. We're going to continue to go. And we're still seeing that today in 2019. The rest of the fam jam is out, taking back what is rightfully ours, what is rightfully God's. My one buddy, he goes to, to China lots. And he's like, Dan, you should come to China with me. No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't want to do it. Yeah, but it's great. You know, they have an escape plan so when the police show up, we can get out the back doors and everything like that. I'm like, Danny, you're out to lunch. Like, this is, but the things that God is doing, that he has posted on Facebook that I've seen and that I've heard, is just phenomenal. There's people that are hungry for this. They're hungry for the word of God. So our desert shouldn't be a place of wallowing and a place of, I'm, I can't believe I'm here. Have we ever asked, God, what do you want me to hear you say? What are you wanting to do in my life right now? God wants to minister to you in that time. Because we get so busy pouring out, 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 pouring out. It's like our water here. It's empty. But we need somebody to come along, take us down to call again, and fill it up. Right? Or wherever we get the water from. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to fill us up. He wants to pour into us. He wants to take us into the desert, strip us of everything. Prime example was Moses. Strip Moses of everything. He was living great in Egypt. Strip Moses of everything. Spoke to him through a burning bush. And look what happened to Moses. He got to liberate the people of Israel. Because God said, we're going to do this together. 
He was in the desert. He got to learn about God. He got to learn about what was going on. And he heard the voice of God. And he said, well, he kind of didn't want to do it at first. And then he said, oh, okay, if you'll send Aaron. But Aaron, it's funny, because Aaron didn't really do anything. He was just a guy there on the sidelines going, yay, go Moses, go, yay. Because Aaron was supposed to be the one that was going to talk. But Moses said, it's okay, I got this, I got this. The point is, is Moses said yes. In his desert, he said yes. He continued on, he held on to the promise. Now, my last point in this. I don't know what kind of desert you're going through. I don't know what's going on. But I want to tell you this, and I just really felt God placing this on my heart. God is wanting to have a relationship with us, and he is willing to do whatever it takes to pour into our lives. Even that means calling us out into a desert that's uncomfortable, makes us feel, why am I here? It's because God wants to talk to you. He wants to build. He wants to not just, he's tired of having a visitation with you. He wants to have his habitation. He wants to live in you. He wants to dwell in you because greater things he wants to do. He wants your testimony to continue to be a weapon. We're not satisfied with where where we are at in our lives. God's not satisfied with where we're at in our lives. And he says, I want to help you. I want to call you. And it's like with my boys. I could leave them where they're at and say, you never have to potty train. You never have to do this. You never have to, whatever. Just, you'll do it on your own. But I'm a good dad. I'm a broken vessel who's been made new in Christ. So I raise the bar for them and say, you know what? You can do this. Come on, let's go sit on the potty. Let's brush our teeth on our own. Let's try getting dressed ourselves. If God is perfect, which he is, his teaching is going to be perfect. Him raising the bar for us is perfect. Because God wants to see us achieve that. Because he is a good, good father. So, that's what I got. And what I wanted to share also, too, is the power of prayer. This is a bonus message. You all know that I started my apprenticeship. I always talk about it. I love it. It's going great. Last year, and we said, you know, it's going to be tough slugging because... I got to go away for school and everything like that. It's like, oh, okay, cool. And we were really hoping for this year to have it around springtime, at the same time that we were going to go. And Ash and I and mom and dad and everybody that knows us, and a lot of you were saying, you know what, we're just going to pray that it's going to come back to Cranbrook because they haven't had it here for years. Well, they have no intention on bringing it back to Cranbrook. They said just not enough interest, not enough people, so on and so forth. And Ash and I said, and in our hearts, we said, you know what, that's fine. It is what it is. We can't change it. But you know what? That doesn't stop us from continuously to pray into this, which we're going to do, and we're going to draw circles around it, and we're going to march around this Jericho and watch the walls fall down. Mom was so (laughs) 
so pumped because she said, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. And we said, yeah, okay, whatever, Mom. You're just doing what you do because I'm your son and you love me and you just want to see that happen. So I do my first year of school. We all know that happened. Second year comes around and they say, okay, Dan, we're only offering it in January or in November. Well, I quit driving because I hate driving on the winter roads. Now it's, it is what it is. But to do it for a living, I hated it because you go crack like way before even the chickens are up and you're trying to battle through highways isn't even out on the road because they're like, oh man, it's too dark. We can't do this. You know, I, and I thank you for what they do, but you're out there. Everybody else is looking out their window. I don't want to go outside. It's too, it's, but you're out there trying to keep the economy going. So we said, okay, January, maybe not. And then November, I was saying for the Kamloops, okay, maybe we'll do November. You know, there's not a lot of snow, but the thing is, is it falls on Isaac's birthday, and I really want to be here for his birthday. And it's like, oh, okay, whatever. Well, I'll sign up for that because January doesn't work for MNK. So we said, okay, it is what it is. And I get a call from my one boss on Monday. He says, hey, Dan, so we found out you're able to go in March. Woo-hoo! Yeah, March. I can totally do that. That's spring. They're excited. They're excited. And they said, but we want to also tell you, too, you can't go to the school you're going to. I'm like, great. They said, because they brought the plumbing program back to Cranbrook. (laughs) So March 25th, I get to stay home. And I get to go to Cotter. Like, is that not God or what? Like, I don't care what you believe. There's power in prayer. You know, when we have a problem, we know who to go to. I'm going to go to my, to my dad. Because even growing up, when I had a problem, I went to my worldly dad. When you have a problem, go to the source. Go right to God. He hears our prayers. He cares so much about them. Now, I've heard some people say, well, you know, God doesn't worry himself in these kind of matters. Absolutely. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. Because he's a loving, caring father. So, I'm really excited. Because God also, what's that? Yeah, right? Because now he also answered another prayer and all that. Because now the money that Ash and I get to save now is just amazing. I don't have to pay rent on another place in Kamloops. I don't have to get a whole new, what's that? I don't have to drive back and forth. I don't have to get groceries. I get to be home every night with my family. I get to come to church and can stay longer on Sundays. I don't have to just rip off now. So God is good. And he, he's alive. And he's, he's open for business. And he wants us to take part in that family business. That's reaching and helping people find and follow after God. And this, I'm telling everybody. That, you know, we were praying for this as a body and as a family, and God said, yeah. So it's pretty cool. I'm, like, I'm really excited about it, and March 25th, we get to start, and woohoo! And we're going to believe for third year, because they said, well, you know, we don't know if we're going to offer it next year. I said, oh, you just wait and see about that. <laughs> you just wait and see about that. So, but with that, I just want to close. We have ministry time now. Now, if there's something you're going through this morning, any kind of desert, it could even be like 
the Arctic desert where it's cold. I think we just want to pray with you and just ask God what it is that he's wanting to do. Why, is, why are you out there? Why is he calling you out there? Is there something going on in your heart that God needed to strip everything away so you can focus on that? So I don't... You know who you are on ministry team. Just be bold. Come on up to the front. These people want to pray for you. You know, we... I'm very happy that we have the, the ministry teams that we do because I don't think we could have... Um, I don't think we could do this without them. Because these people stand in the gap. They intercede on our behalf and help us and walk with us. So it's encouraging to know that we're not alone, physically, spiritually, that we are a family. So be blessed. There is food downstairs. But if you need prayer, please don't leave without it. Because I think, and I know God wants to do something today in you. Amen listening to our sermon of the week our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the father and the power of his presence for more information about house of hope visit us at www.ihope.today